Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Only Podcast. This is your co-host, Austin Smith, joined as always by your other co-host, John Kirby. You can find us on Twitter at ACSmith06 and at John underscore Kirby. And as always, follow the mothership at The Only Colors. Today is Monday, March 1st. And, you know, all in all, good week. Uh, Who among us hasn't had a little bit of a letdown on the week, John? Austin, I would call it a great week. You know, everyone has agree. a bad taste in their mouth right now, but folks, just <laughs> when we, we some podcasters left this team for dead. I won't some name names. <laughs> some uh, didn't think how how dare they? But I will the say audacity. in those in some of those podcasters' defense. Uh, they didn't make a note at the end of their last podcast that they thought that MSU could do something silly and, and hang with Illinois. And then the other one, I think, said they could do something silly and hang with Ohio State. And mm-hmm. The problem with those podcasters who will be unnamed uh, is they right. didn't even get to the Maryland preview. And and so if we if they had, they would have been able to let you know that. Playing a team that had six games rest versus your uh, your team's one is never a good combination. So, you know, uh, all in all, a win of a week. Yeah, it's a much, much like said podcasters, again, who who shall remain nameless. Uh, Michigan State appeared to sort of forget about the weekend game and just, you know, really concentrate on those first two during the week against those top five opponents. And again, you know, who who are we to judge? Um, so let's just jump right in. I mean, again, to the macro view, one of objectively the better weeks in Michigan state program history, two, two top five wins back to back for the first time ever. Um, I think it, yeah, which is crazy again, considering everything that this program has accomplished, not, it's not hyperbole to say that this, those two wins completely changed uh Michigan State season they they saved the season we are now about to have the conversation of oh can Michigan State make the NCAA tournament and it's a very real and understandable and legitimate conversation even after losing to Maryland so um those first two games John I I thought there were some really interesting takeaways this was to me the first time all year that you felt like it felt like MSU actually had a bit of an identity. You were running the offense almost solely through Aaron Henry as your main initiator, Josh Lankford, kind of your second initiator. Um, Rocket Watts sent 
to, you know, kind of more of a, a bench role, Joey Hauser, the same, you had spacing with Gabe Brown, um, and kind of a, a one man, you know, a four out one in small ballish type of lineup. And I just was, it was nice to see the elder statesman in Langford and Henry say, okay, we're not, we're not going down without a fight. Um, I mean, Henry was a machine in both of those games, uh, really kind of just making plays when they needed to be made. And Josh Langford had like 18 rebounds against Illinois. I mean, it, it was nice to see, and this is kind of where like, you know, a program like Michigan state separates itself is that, that sense of pride, that sense of, we're not just going to fold it up and pack it in. Like I'm sure many other uh, programs would have would have done under these same circumstances. So Illinois in particular was really impressive just because, you know, what they were able to you they were clearly frustrating Kofi Coburn. Um, I thought the centers did a, a nice job of at least using up those fouls. Um, and honestly, AO, they probably deserve, you know, AO had a, a bit of an off shooting night, but MSU should take some credit for that. So all in all, I mean, this was this is a big win against an Illinois team that was on a roll coming in. So let, let's let's go back. Not only were they on a roll, this is a team that I think, I don't even know if they, I don't want to say overlooked Michigan State, but they they walked in and they were not ready for what Michigan State threw at them, which was an old school Big Ten game. Mm-hmm. And Illinois was a team ill-equipped to handle that and a fan base too while we're at it. They, <laughs> they weren't ready for to play a desperate team. And Michigan State, top to bottom roster-wise, probably not as talented as that Illinois team. But Illinois let it become personal. They let they let their basketball talent fall to the wayside, and they let it get personal, and they lost because of it. And that's as much on you know their coaches as anything else. But it's also on you know their their le- their leaders on the team. And you mentioned um, a couple of things which are worth noting. Aaron Henry more than stepped up for uh, defending Ao Desumu, clamped him for all mm-hmm. considering uh, what Ao is capable of, and did it all on the offensive end. You mentioned um, it was just a different way of attacking on offense, and it was smart. And like you said, or like we were talking about, they mucked it up against a better team. That's what you have to do. So um, good on them. And I think the thing I was both intensely proud and intensely frustrated with at the end was I was like, where was, where was the, this attitude? Oh yeah. You can be bad or not as talented as the team and still have that type of attitude about we're going to be tougher than you. And it came out in this game and then, you know, in the Ohio state game, that's, that's where I was at after this one. I completely agree. I mean, that's when I said identity, I mean, to me, that's exactly what this team has been lacking, because to your point, and we've said this, I feel like every podcast for the last six months, we've seen bad Michigan State teams before, but those bad Michigan State teams know, okay, they're more self-aware and they're willing to be like, all right, every night's a rock fight. That's just the bottom line. That's how we're going to have to go. It's how we're going to, we know we have to do X, Y, and Z to win. This team has until the last week, not had that. And they seem to have figured it out, which is a huge revelation. But also to your point, it's like, okay, well, where was this in January? I mean, where was this in December? Where were these, you know what I mean? And again, yeah, COVID, all that stuff. 
Um, but that's the same hand everybody else has been dealt. Um, but it, it was, I mean, it was literally, it, it came along at the most critical possible time. And, you know, like you said, not only did it show up against Illinois, it really showed up against Ohio State. And I'm going to zoom like way ahead in the Ohio State game, because the part that made me come away from this game being like, okay, this team might actually be able to like really drag them, you know, drag themselves into the tournament was how they responded down the last five minutes, six minutes of that game. I mean, Ohio State punched and punched and punched, and MSU was down 49 to 40 in this game, and they managed to fight their way back and, and end up winning by four. I mean, you had seen that. Again, this is where the identity comes into play. Maybe if you don't have that Illinois game right before this Ohio State game and you don't have that answer, you don't have that confidence, maybe you lose a game like that. But because – they were obviously feeling themselves a little bit and they knew, Hey, we fight and claw. We can beat this team. We just did it the other night. Um, they were able to, to, instead of folding down nine in the second half, they, they put their, you know, put their nuts on the table and really played uh, quite, quite well. Again, Henry and Langford, the main reasons they won this game. I mean, Henry was an absolute beast down the stretch. Josh made a couple of huge buckets. I shall also shout out to Joey Hauser. Joey Hauser canned an enormous three in this game right down the stretch. And I think in his more limited role, we've actually seen a much more effective version um, of the Joey Hauser we were all hoping to see. You're right. And, and, you know, I think everyone, we just need to put what you wanted or thought or all of that aside. It's not there. It's not it. Right. So then instead of being disappointed, say, okay, what is he? And once you kind of recalibrate those expectations, you can take a step back and say, okay. And he's actually in these last couple of games has been quite good. Um, yeah. Even at Maryland loss. So, um, you know, it, it's finding their role so that they can succeed. Right. And I, and I hope, hope there's Joey is finding that. Yeah, I mean, and you need that. Even if he's not going to be this guy that everybody thought is going to leave for the league after one year, which is was honestly, I think, the expectation when he came in, um, you're still getting somebody that can give you really quality minutes and fulfill a role of, uh, you know, shooting that you you really need on this team. So I thought he made a huge shot in this game. And all in all, like, they they just locked up. Like, they locked up. They played really well in this game, and they fought. I mean, they, they got punched in the face several times by Ohio State, and they managed to, you know, make be the team that made the big clutch plays at home uh, with no crowd and with everything. They looked, once again, like the team with everything to lose. And it was nice to see that spirit from them. Um you know what part of it is? I think it's we're seeing. We talked at the beginning of the season is like how do you how do you deal with eleven guys who are all maybe not great but certainly deemed worthy of playing time. Mm-hmm. Too many, and then with that you had no rotational flow for twenty straight games, and then that started to sort itself out. You know, by accident or by purpose, Foster Lawyer hurt potentially done for the season, by the way, mm-hmm. you have um, foul trouble in some of these games. And then um, you have other guys that are, or the bench, or excuse me, the coaches saying, you know what, let's just play our best players the most. And like <laughs> that you limit rotations, you get flow, and then you hope for the best result. And that's what happened against two really good teams. Um and, you know, we'll get to the Maryland game in a moment, but it's it's all about just like letting guys play a little bit. 
Now, mm-hmm. the flip side of that is Rocket. They let Rocket Watts play against Ohio State, and it did not go well. He he got to the point of it being unplayable, and they're putting in AJ Hogard, and he's I don't even know if serviceable is the correct word, but he's being put in a situation that is a bit unfair because you were hoping that Rocket Watts and Foster Lawyer would have been able to eat all of the minutes and play plus basketball. Well, then you throw in a freshman and you're like, come on, kids, swim. And, <laughs> and it's a little unfair. He's doing not great, but it's not like terrible. But at the same time, I think it's all about recalibrating. Is it fair that we're asking this freshman to come in and like <laughs> run this underperforming team into right. something it's not. So, you know, the point is Rocket Watts got a lot of leash in the Ohio State game. Didn't work out. Team still pulled it out, which is great. But that's something that we're going to have to watch the last 10 of this game is how the heck does that position? Well, I mean, you you talked about recalibrating expectations for Joey Hauser. No one needs to have expectations recalibrated for them more than Rocket Watts. Right now, Rocket Watts is not a Big Ten caliber player. He's just not. He, he's, he is playing – well, well, well below his talent level, below expectations, below what this team needs. He, The thing that kills me about Rocket more than anything else is he is so tentative. On the offensive end, when, when he is running the point, he stands at the top of the key and pounds the ball into the earth's crust <laughs> and does nothing else. And then eventually just passes it to what's probably the fourth option on any given like set that they're running. Like he's, he. He always waits for the safety valve and then he kicks it to the safety valve and he moves like off the ball and he can't shoot. So he's not taking his defender with him. His defender's not pushing up on him because he doesn't ex- think Rocket's going to drive past him because he never does. And he's just not adding. He's, he's beginning to be like Tum Tum near where he's just out there. He's just a player. You literally need a player. You need five players on the court and he is the fifth player. And that is such a, shocking development from what we saw from him last year. I think the biggest thing is we saw aggressiveness. You saw decisiveness, especially in the second half when he was starting and really, really coming to life and winning games for Michigan state down the stretch last year. Um, He just doesn't have, he doesn't even look like the same player. And I think, you know, part of it is the lack of an off season to turn into a point guard but the other part of it is I, I'm not really sure. I, I, I think you know, I, I don't know what's not clicked for him. But so when he's out there, there's just nothing is happening, which is why you need Langford and, and Henry to be the guys that initiate and run the offense. The difference between him and Hogard, and again, to, to, to qualify this, A.J. Hogard is not also not playing like a Big Ten like, guy who should be getting a ton of minutes. Right. But at least – He's decisive. Like if nothing else, the, listen, the decisions aren't always right, but he is at least like this team more than anything else. And you see it in these last three games when things were going well, especially against Ohio State and Illinois. When they get to the lane, that's when things can happen. When you are a rock fight type of team, you can't sit. And again, we're talking about Maryland, but you can't sit back and shoot 25 threes in well, a game because that's not right. your team. When you're a rock fight team, you get to the line. Mm-hmm. You go to the rack, you try to clean up offensive boards, and you win sloppy. And Hogard is not – he is a point guard right now that is much more conducive to that because he is a big dude. 
he's not, again, it's not always the right decision, but he's willing to get into the lane, make some nifty passes, and either get better looks for his guys that are settling for threes, or at least get into the paint and get a draw foul, kick it to your center. Like, he's trying to create. Yep. Rocket's not even doing that. Well, and th- you're right. You you nailed it. And it's it's very similar to asking a freshman quarterback. To Absolutely. It's a good comparison. You know, it's the same thing. It's a point guard, right? You come in and it's like, hey, come on, man, do it. And it's like, well, that's a big ask. So, you know, I, I am hopeful that, I mean, A.J. Hogard, two years from now, three years from now, it's going to be a- next year. I think next year. I think well, AJ Hogard is is a guy with minutes that could be a very very productive player in spells. You're right, and you know we've talked about this, and you know you've kind of corrected me, but I'm going to bring back the Thomas Kithier comparison. If you play mm-hmm. him eight minutes a night, he can be productive. And actually, for what it's worth, Kithier was in these in these wins. Sure. Like, and that's what, and and we can be upset that he's an upperclassman that is only capable of that, right. but 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 hold on to that idea. That should have been the case with AJ this year. Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, been- he 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 should have been. I mean, if you think back to what like the, the comparison I come back to is Travis Trice. Like Travis Trice in his freshman and sophomore yeah. years was a, a ten to twelve minute a game, gonna run your offense, make pace. smart decisions, change yep. of pace type guy. I don't think it it was ever at any point out of place to expect that from Hogarth. And honestly, I think you can, you can get that from him right now. And that's what we're on the same page. And that, if that was the expectation of him, he would be thriving. Right. He's just, he, now you're asking him to play 20 minutes and it's like, come on, you know, but, but to our point, it's that or what, and the, right. or what is, where it gets really tenuous because Josh Langford and Aaron Henry are playing minutes at an incredibly high level, more than yeah. a, what is sustainable, especially considering how many games they played in, in, in limited minutes. I mean, we'll talk, touch on this in a bit, um, but you know, it's, it's, it's almost unfair to ask now Aaron Henry, not only do you have to score, Right. Defend the other team's best player, but now you need to facilitate—not just facilitate the offense, run point, not just yeah, run the offense through now. you, bring it up, because we have no other option. So and, here's here here is where, and this is a callback to something I think we were saying again, beginning of the the of 2021. This is where you're paying the price with AJ Hogard for not committing to just giving him 20 minutes a night way earlier in the season. This is where giving minutes, and you're going to hate me for this, this is where giving foster lawyer minutes is coming back to bite you. Like, yes, he got injured. That's not his fault. But you're you're right now paying the piper with mm-hmm. his decision-making because you sure. didn't say, okay, this season isn't going the direction we want. Foster lawyer is, gonna, is clearly not the future of this position. Let's flip their minutes and just just ride through the hard times with Hogard, which, mm-hmm. I mean, if, if we look at the way the games went, would it have made the results of almost any game different? Probably not. And you're, you'd be sitting here with a much more seasoned point guard who could probably carry more of the load today. Maybe not a ton. You know, it, I'm not saying he would have evolved into this incredible player, but you wouldn't have someone that is clearly still a freshman. I mean, you'd have, you'd have somebody that's a little bit better. For what it's worth, let's, let's AJ, 
helped beat Ohio State. He he had he's six good, assists. He's fine. Yeah, he had six assists. You know, like it's just like playing 20 minutes every night. Even if he had, we had given him that opportunity at the beginning of the year, then he starts to talk about freshman wall. You know, running right. into that. It's all hard in hindsight, right? But the the fact of the matter is, the one and the five haven't necessarily been figured out. That said, right. the five hats off to them against Illinois, all four of them. They were not as good as the guy they were guarding. They used almost every, literally almost every foul available to them, <laughs> which is kind of incredible. Um, and, you you know, they didn't play necessarily well, but as a unit, helped beat Illinois. All four, if yeah. you don't have four big guys, you don't beat Illinois. They needed every last one of them. Um, against Ohio State, it was a completely different game um, where, you know, their best uh, post player was not uh, available, Kyle Young. But E.J. Liddell, who kind of – very might, good. I might get killed for this. He kind of reminds me of Draymond a little bit. Like he, right. He's a bully ball forward who just, like, doesn't take any shit. And yeah. I just I watched him and I was like, damn, this guy, he's undersized. He's boarding like crazy. He's the guy that demanded the ball to get a bucket when things got tough. Um, he was pushing Marble, Bingham, everyone around. I don't know. I, I liked him. He was just, he he's was, a very he's a very big 10 front. Yeah, court guy. he's my kind of, you know, <laughs> yeah. he's a Michigan State guy. You know, he's you know, he, he reminds me of uh, who was the dude that was at Wisconsin, Nigel Hayes. Okay, like, yeah. I get some Nigel Hayes vibes sure. from him. I liked him. And so anyway, you know, I say that all that about him because um, MSU was able to play a different game than the Illinois game and beat a very good opponent in Ohio State. And mm-hmm. this is a team that was coming in as the most efficient offense in, in the country over the last 10 games. And MSU's defense held them to 67 points. And, and a lot of it was on the three-point line defending the three-point line. So I don't know. I, I was really proud of watching that team gut it out. And, and, and the, what was most inspiring to me about this game, Austin, mm-hmm. which then turned to doubt, was that MSU beat Ohio State with Rocket Watts going one for 10 from the floor and playing 23 minutes. And I was like, wow, okay, spin zone. If MSU can beat Ohio State with a guy playing that poorly, imagine if he was playing even neutral. Or if a guy came in and was playing at his <laughs> neutral level, right? Well, unfortunately, going to the Maryland game, it, it was too much to ask a team that had played that many games in that many days to go up against another team that needed a win at home in a different time or uh, across how many state lines. And they had six days rest. Now, I'm not yeah. going to make excuses. That's just how it like, played out. But it would it's kind of like the writing is a little bit on the wall. And that's what happened, you know. Yeah, I mean, if you were looking at these games going into the week, I mean, it's not like you were saying, okay, we're going to beat Maryland, we're going to beat Ohio State, and then blah, blah, blah. But if if I was going to guess one of those three games that situationally, based based solely not on the team, but on yeah. the scenario and the extras that surround it, that's the one you had to circle and say, okay, this is probably going to be a, a loss. I mean, it, it, for, for all the reasons you named. And then on top of that, the, you know, 
the emotional aspect of beating two five top five teams at home and feeling a little bit better and getting people talking about you and all of these things, you know, the, the inevitable other shoe is going to drop. And like this, but you could tell one team had sat for six days and one team had just gone through two borderline wars. I mean, the, Mm -hmm. as this team has done so many times this year and started out horribly down 11, nothing didn't score until five minutes into the game. Like just, just Mm -hmm. didn't have the legs. Now I got to give them credit. Because I watched every last second of this game, and they fought the entire way. Yep. I mean, they had chances. They it was a five point game with like five minutes left. I mean, yep. they they were fighting, and once again, it was Langford Henry. I think you really saw the legs start to catch up to him um, yep. because he. I think he missed his last like ten shots or something like that. Um, this is a game where you, if if you're gonna win it, you need kind of like that unexpected performance from the third guy. And then just nobody was, nobody was really up to the task. I shout out to Malik Hall. I thought he played really well as a small ball five. This team went super small, which you've noted before in this game, basically no centers playing minutes. Um, but like this is, this is one where you needed a four for six night from Gabe Brown. This is one where you needed, you know, rocket to come out and score 12 points. Um, and you just didn't get, those performances from from any of those guys um again henry credit to henry i thought this was really like a big josh langford game though i thought he played especially well in this one but you know it just when you're a team that can't shoot and doesn't have a point guard who can drive things into the lane you're you're gonna find yourself in in tough spots and then they settled for a ton of threes first of all yeah mark turgeon did a great job he said we're going to pack the lane and we are going to force you to shoot threes. Now, MSU played right into those hands. And I think part of the reason why they did that was because they were tired. <laughs> I mean, they took advantage of, you know, they're like, okay, I can pull up for the, these threes, which means I don't have to go crashing into the lane. I think a fresher Michigan State team probably makes some different decisions. Um, but, you know, they, they played into their hands. I thought they did a better job in the second half of not settling as much, which is why they were able to cut the lead. Um, but you know, listen, this, this, for all the reasons you said, Maryland had six days off, Maryland desperately needed to win. They were at home, you know, I was just coming off all of that, those emotional, uh, moments. I'm, I'm not surprised they lost this game. And the other part of it is like, yeah, it sucks that they lost, but this is not when you look at the remainder of the schedule and you really have to think about it. And we're going to talk about it in a minute. Like every single game that you've got left is now under such a microscope because of how deep the hole is that you dug yourself. This was probably the, you know, you could in a way like afford to lose. This game wasn't going to get you in or knock you out. So it's not yep. at the end of the day, this backbreaking loss. Like, it sucks. It's a, More wins are it's always good. better, but it's okay. Yeah, it was an away game, um, you know, which helps, you know, from, from a data angle. And yet you mentioned the three-point shooting. It It's doubly smart because one, Michigan State's not a great three-point shooting team to start. And then Turgeon says, okay, sorry. It's okay. He he was smart. He gambled. Yeah, no, and and he said, I bet this team who can't, um, who's taken how many days off, had no days off, I bet they can't hit shots from deep. And he was right. And, you know, between that, I think there were some bright spots, and we got to look at Joey Hauser, who's had a nice few games yep. we were talking about. But you need way more than that now. Like, you need you need 20-point outings for them to beat teams like Maryland. And 
we go into this game against Indiana and it, I mean, this is before we get into the Indiana game, I think what we want to do is have a, a breakdown of what has to happen in the weeks to come, all the scenarios. But I think what we need to see happening in the Indiana game is, will Tom Izzo dictate what happens like he did against Illinois and Ohio state or will the other team dictate what happens like it happened in Maryland. And, and I, and I would hope MSU comes out and plays at the very least the way they did against Illinois, because they can beat Indiana and they've done done it seven days out of the week, but they got before we dive into that, let's just, I, I guess we should probably look at sort of kind of like reset sitting here a week ago. I don't think anybody realistically was thinking. I mean, I think we were thinking, okay, it's a real outside shot. Michigan state's getting in. I mean, they're sitting there at, I think it was 11 and nine at the time, you know, all their losses aren't particularly bad when you talk about what quad those teams are in, but there's a lot of blowouts on there and, you know, they needed some signature wins net net at the end of this week, they got those signature wins. They got their two biggest wins of the season, uh, especially with how Duke is playing. Um, so can this team make the NCAA tournament? I mean, right now they are the 77th net the team in net, um, the net ranking, which I know John, this is probably more of your, your realm, but the um, lowest net teams to make the NCAA tournament all time were St. John's at 73 and Arizona state at 63. So they're still on the weird side of this net bubble, but there's a lot of opportunity ahead of them. So I, was, I want to quick go over the net and why, what's happening in it and what you should take away ultimately from it. Number one, they've adjusted the formula from last year. Blowout wins and blowout losses do not matter as much. After a 10-point win or a 10-point loss, anything above or below it doesn't matter anymore. It's weighted the same. So great news for losing by 30 multiple times a game. For <laughs> okay. The other thing to consider, why is MSU's net ranking so low? because they have a good strength of schedule, yada, yada, yada. It's because there is a larger emphasis on adjusted offense and adjusted defense efficiency, which means how would Michigan State in the games they played do against an adjusted, meaning uh, against an average uh, NCAA tournament team? And unfortunately, in those blowout losses, they were performing at an incredibly poor level, especially on offense. So it, 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 it's a weight that pulls them down. Also consider the lack of sample size for the entire uh, college basketball landscape. There are teams that have only played not even 10 games. Uh, it's hard to rank them, which is why the head of the NCAA tournament committee said that they would not be using the net rankings um, as substantially as they would in teams in the, year, the past two years. Okay, so that, that's a takeaway for you. It is important, but it is not the end-all be-all anymore because they understand for a hundred different reasons there are there are what you know considerations. There's context that needs to be taken into play. Also, um, uh, regarding the net rankings, we're going to start to look at other types of rankings that that um, do a better job of getting rid of noise. Fortunately, there are a handful out there that aren't used by the committee, but they may be considered like Kevin Paga's KPI. Um, I'm not sure how much uh, the the Sagarin will be we use this year, but do know that um, there are other formulas that are certainly the people that the committee is going to look at 
if only to find a better average. Because mm-hmm. so, if you have four or five different formulas that you can kind of better find where a team should be at than extreme outliers, like if the net were operating alone. So just kind of take that away. Um, it, it doesn't mean that MSU is necessarily in a great spot, but it certainly isn't as um, alarming as it would be in a normal year. So that's my rant on the net. Um, just don't read into it as much because I'm not sure how much the committee will be. That said, four games guaranteed left on the schedule, right, Austin? Yep. And I know you wanted to talk about um, why specifically this year, how it's different, but how it because of that difference, that specific uh, reason, it's a benefit for Michigan State. I mean, I, it, it's really, <laughs> I'll put it, the, the simplest way to put it is MSU picked a really good year to be bad. Um, you know, it, it's it's interesting because a, a lot of years, it feels like this has happened more often, for, I don't know why, but somewhat more recently than others, but MSU seems to carry the conference a lot of years where there's only, you know, a couple teams up at the top, I think back to the year uh, Miles Bridges sophomore year where MSU won like 30 games but was a three seed because they carried such a, a underperforming conference. Well, this year is the total inverse where the Big Ten is really, really good from from top to bottom. Um, and normally, like I said, MSU carries the conference. Maybe they drag a team with them into the the big into the NCAA tournament. This year, the conference is doing them a lot of favors and maybe carrying them definitely more than they're carrying the conference. I mean, if you one of the things that's so bizarre about Michigan State is that, again, you just went through the whole thing with the net, but like they don't have any bad losses on the schedule in terms of of teams. I mean, some are obviously worse than others, but, you know, you're talking about losses to Wisconsin and uh, gosh, Iowa. I mean, these, you know, um, Rutgers is even good. You know, these teams, these losses aren't bad so the the quality of the big 10 conference is something that i think ultimately could be a huge it ultimately could save msu's skin i mean like depending on the way that these last four games um you know we're obviously counting the big 10 uh tournament first game in there um depending on the way that these go msu is probably going to find themselves either potentially really close to the bubble on on either side and i don't think it's fair necessarily but i think there's a very real um intangible element to msu being you know the quote-unquote blue blood uh type of program that could ultimately pull them into the tournament i mean when you consider from a business perspective you are you're the ncaa you're all of these colleges your objective is to drive as much viewership sell as many human as many tickets as legally possible to these games that are all taking place in the state of indiana and you're telling me it's Michigan State versus just about anybody else uh, on this bubble, um, aside from maybe Indiana, which is a big thing we'll talk about in a second. And, um, and Duke. Yes, of course. But, I mean, those are teams that carry this same weight. But I got to think Michigan State, because they're coming from a great conference, because they have the brand name, because they're close by, I mean – the the appeal for them, the business upside of putting them in as a 12 seed is pretty significant. Now, I'm not saying that saves their hides. They still got to win some of these games. But if it comes down to them versus and I'm picking teams out of thin air, but like, say, Arizona State or say, you know, one of these other random schools that's like right on that bubble. 
I got to think MSU is going to be getting the benefit of the doubt. And again, not just because they're this quote unquote blue blood, but because they're coming from a conference that really uh, has, has been quite impressive and, and they still have a chance to add some impressive wins on top of what they've already got. You're right, Austin. And here's, here's a better, maybe more plausible example. Drake. They, <laughs> there we go. They, they have two losses on the year. They, if they lose it again, and they probably will, in the Missouri Valley turn, Conference Tournament to Loyola, excuse me, three losses on the year. They lose again, and they finish the year 26-4. and four. Michigan State will probably get the nod over them. Now, is that fair? Is it not? You can put their resumes up against each other. MSU still might even have a better resume. In other years, I'm not sure where Drake lands. I will tell you in this scenario, Drake isn't driving eyeballs. So that is just a huge consideration this year, fair or not, like you kept, like you've been reiterating. So as we mentioned, at least four games to go. And I'm going to quickly go through here are the scenarios that take place where you can kind of feel out what has to happen. And these aren't these aren't absolute, but just considerations. If MSU right. goes 0 and 4, they lose to Indiana, both Michigan games in the first round of the Big Ten tournament, there's zero percent chance they are in. <laughs> that is correct. That is the analysis that you come to this podcast for. If they go one and four, <laughs> if they lost the flat, the first three games, last three games of the regular season, but they won in the Big Ten tournament, and that game would probably be against in Rutgers, and then they lost to uh, the two seed Illinois, because in that scenario MSU would have been the ten seed overall, they're probably out. One and four won't cut mm-hmm. it. If they go one and three, and here are the three different ways that could happen. If they beat Indiana, and then they lost uh, to Michigan twice and in the first round of the Big Ten tournament, they're out. If they lost, lose to Indiana, and they win at Michigan, and then lose to Michigan at home, and then lose in the first round of the Big Ten tournament, they should be in. That win at Michigan would be more than enough. Now you flip it, and if they won the game at home against Michigan and lost at Michigan, and then they lost the first time to the Big Ten tournament after losing to Indiana as well, that is a very sweaty Sunday. It is a very yes. sweaty Sunday for you. And Most other scenarios, MSU is in. The only other sweaty scenario that is even plausible worth talking about is if MSU were to lose out and then become the 10th seed and they beat Rutgers, and then they beat Illinois, and we know they can do that, and then they lost to maybe the three seed like Iowa, you can still get in. You would be sweating, but but those are two good quad one wins um, that could help you. So every other scenario, you're in. You beat Michigan twice, we don't have to have this conversation. You know, um, that is seemingly a very tall task, but um, first things first, but before we get to that Indiana preview, do you want to take a break? I think we should. I think it's time. We've earned it. All right, here we go. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. 
With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Man, we're back. All right. So, yeah, let's. We've been we've been alluding to this one quite a bit, but I, I think it's time we really dive into the games that are remaining. Then we got a little bit of football afterwards too, because there's some fun stuff happening there. But first and foremost, by the time we're listening to this, probably Michigan State will be about to play Indiana. John, you put this in a really interesting light. Uh, in your description, you normally hear about play-in games. This is very much potentially a play-out game for Michigan State and Indiana. I mean, right both. now, they, go ahead. I think for both teams, I think it's a play-out. For, yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, these are two teams that are in the same neighborhood of the bubble, for all intents and purposes, and they both have big opportunities left in, in front of them. Um now, I, I also think that there are two teams that are kind of heading in opposite directions right now. I mean, MSU obviously coming off of a, a, the best week of their season so far. Um, even though they just lost to Maryland, I still think playing pretty well. Uh, whereas Indiana is, is reeling big time. I mean, they've lost, I think it's four out of five straight games. Mm-hmm. Um, they just got smoked at home by 16 to, to, to Michigan, which again, I mean, you know, this year, certainly not a not much you can say in the way of negative stuff about that, but um, they're just kind of floundering. I mean, they're doing the Archie Miller thing. They're sitting here at 12 and 12. I mean, honestly, Michigan state's desperate. Indiana, you could argue is even, even more desperate. Um, So this is, this is big, big time stuff for both teams and Indiana. Again, you know, you look at, okay, what are, what are some of the maybe intangible things that might give one team or another, uh, in edge here. And obviously, you know, we concentrated on the fact that against Maryland, Michigan State's legs were going to be tired. Um, and Maryland was really fresh. Indiana doesn't have that freshness, uh, the edge on Michigan State. They just played on Saturday. Before that, they played on Wednesday. Before that, they played on Saturday. They've played Wednesday, Saturday, basically every week for the last three weeks. So they're going to be, I mean, their legs are going to be uh, probably darn near as close to tired as Michigan State's. And they got to go on the road. For Michigan State, this is you got to do the same thing you did last time, um, and you need this win. I mean, I I I don't think it's uh, out of place to say that this is the most important game remaining on Michigan State's schedule. Absolutely, you know, and it's it's doubly important because we talked about the minutes that Aaron Henry has put in um, today, and for what it's worth, Josh Langford too. But yep. only eight players in the country have played more minutes than Aaron Henry from February 20th to uh, February 28th. So if you and you're going to see as many minutes as foul trouble will allow in this game from Aaron Henry, if he if you don't get a win out of those 35 plus minutes from him. I don't know how you can expect to beat Michigan with a guy on a one-day turnaround rest with Aaron Henry as your best player. 
Like, I just feel like that's really, really, really unrealistic. So that's why this game is so much more important because you have to, get, this is, this is like squeezing the, the, you're driving on fumes here. You know, you need yep. Aaron Henry, every last thing you can get out of him. And if you don't come out with a win after, you know, coasting into the gas station of the end of the season, um, <laughs> I don't know. I just don't know if if it's realistic to ask this MSU team to to be able to to put enough points on the board without Aaron. Henry yeah. at least. 20. I mean, we're pulling we're pulling like seats out of the back of the car and throwing them out the window to get throwing this them, last yeah. mile. Yeah, you you've you've popped the trunk open. Everything's falling out. Like you are you are cutting weight. Uh, if, if you're gonna shoot with Aaron Henry in this one, it's bad. It's a bad situation. Um, I want to talk about one thing with Indiana before we talk about the the five matchup because I know you had some thoughts on uh, what Trace Jackson Davis did last time and and what MSU can maybe do. You know, MSU has had its. We talked about the point guard problems. Indiana certainly going through one of their own. Um, Rob Finisi is having, and, and, Frank, and Armand Franklin and their other guard, are, are just not been shooting well lately. And they have a five-star kid, Christian Lander, who is their backup point guard, who is almost unplayable right now. Like, in, in the sense that he, is, he has struggled so much, that, but they don't have any other options. You know, he, he is he is really, really, really a liability. So if you are going to play a team when you have questions of your own in the backcourt, this is not a bad one uh, uh, to be going up against. Now, um, it's not to say that uh, Finisi and, and, and Franklin can't turn it around because those guys are very capable and, and seasoned um, shooters um, that have just been struggling, hoping that they continue to struggle. But, you know, Armand Franklin didn't play in that Michigan game, um, unsure of his status against MSU. That would be huge. Now, the the guy who made everything work for Indiana in the last game was Trace Jackson Davis, who we believe to be an NBA um, player, maybe G League for a year, who just dominated Michigan State. But what do you, I mean, what has to happen in this game is when we talked about Aaron Henry and Josh Lankford having no legs, well, the centers certainly don't get to say that because they played a combined right. eight minutes against Maryland. So if there's any good news, you have four guys who are ready to run and bang and work, and hopefully it works out a little bit better. But who, who would you throw out there uh, to start? Yeah, I mean, you know, you made a great point there in that if, you know, MSU's got some dead legs, but you do have – you may, this may have even been like a little bit of gamesmanship, which I think would be, a, you know, something we'll never know, but would be a fascinating thing to find out is MSU went really small against Maryland, who is a small team, admittedly, but they didn't play any of the centers at all. Like, it, like really, basically the entire game. I mean, Malik Hall played – the majority of the center minutes in the second half. And that you, you barely, I don't even know if we saw Maddie Sissoko. We barely saw Marcus Bingham, Kitty or barely anything. And Marble, I guess, probably got the most true center minutes. But um, I, it's interesting because last game, MSU just kind of let Trace Jackson Davis eat. And boy, did he eat. Um, I, it, it's so interesting because you, you're, he's really the only part that makes this whole thing go. So there is, 
there's one side of you that says, okay, just let him eat and make sure we make sure that we truly get nothing from anybody else. Like you are selling out to stop everybody else. You're going to let the one guy who could do stuff, do stuff. Or do you go the route of let's try to beat the crap out of him the way that they tried to do it to Kofi Coburn, make him earn his points at the line and don't give him anything easy. Uh, I mean, double him and force them to hit shots from the outside. I mean, to me, that's not a terrible idea. I honestly think Michigan state should take a page out of what Maryland just did to them and kind of make them do the same thing because they don't have a lot of guys that can shoot the ball all that well either. Um, and I, I would tell them, Hey, you're not going to win this game by just going to your strength. We're going to try to at least limit trace Jackson Davis to even just 20 and 10. I mean, if you can just get 20 and 10 from him, that's fine. That's more or less what he, a little bit above what he averages. Um, and yeah, I just, you know, I, I would tell them, okay, make Armand Franklin beat me, make Al Durham beat me, make Rob Finnessy hit shots. I mean, I, I would try to force them out of their comfort zone. And I think MSU has become a better defensive team since the last time they played Indiana, where maybe they can do a little bit more of that. But I would try to put him at the line. I mean, he only shoots about 67% from um from the line and you know it's you just can't let trace jackson davis be the guy to beat you because that's the obvious thing like if it's going to be somebody else let it be somebody else the guy who actually worries me honestly in a way more than tjd because you sort of know what he's going to do you just got to keep him from blowing up the guy that makes me a little nervous is race thompson race thompson had a really nice game against michigan state his first time out i think he had 15 points um yeah he had 15 he had seven steals in that game uh, and six rebounds. So yeah, to me, that's the dude who gives wh- whoever's playing the four at MSU a really hard time. Cause he's six, eight two twenty five, like real, real explosive athlete MSU. You know, listen, they might not have a guy who can go with Trace Jackson Davis. They really don't have a guy who can go with race Thompson. So um, that's the one to me, like if I'm looking at an X factor dude, it's it's him and what he can do, especially on the glass, because I mean, she's again not a great rebounding team. They both make me a little nervous. I'd try to make the guards beat me. That's a good that's a good call out about race. And um, you know, I think breaking news on the pod just saw uh, come through Armand Franklin potentially out for the rest of the season. Um, oh, wow. So that that you know obviously makes things a bunch more difficult and changes the game plan for, for Indiana. As you said, they may very well um, just become front court heavy because as we mentioned, their back court is just in a trying position right now. You know, how do you defend against a guy like Ray Thompson, who is in a way a bit like EJ little without the three point shot, just a big 10 banging guy, right? Like what, what do you do? And we don't have that guy. You've seen, time and time and time again, Joey Hauser just be too slow-footed or not strong or big enough or tall enough or have long enough arms to bang with those solid right. fours in the Big Ten. So, you know, what do you do? Um, because you certainly, it would not be advantageous to play two uh, centers. Um, it, it, it would slow you down on offense. You cannot, You can't have more, you don't need any more liabilities on offense than you already have. Uh, I think, you know, what you may have to do, and this might be my, my preferential homerism showing through on my favorite players, but I think you need to challenge Malik Hall and, and say, Mm -hmm. you're undersized. He's bigger than you. He's stronger than you. Um, but what, you know, this is your challenge. 
Like you need to make sure that Race Thompson doesn't beat us because he can't shoot. Yeah. You need to be out. You need to find a way to be tougher than him. And he's a tough dude. And because, you know, size wise, body wise, he is undersized compared to him, but maybe he's the guy that has to do it. Or otherwise, you just say, Joey Hauser, you're going to have to take your lumps on defense, but make them pay with your pick and pop shooting. Those are my right. two options. Those two guys, I think Gabe Brown, too, just because MSU's inclination to play more small ball mm-hmm. uh, recently could be could be something that maybe like guides them in that direction. I think playing him at the small ball four allows you to get Aaron and Josh and maybe even, I don't know, maybe try and throw Joey Hauser out there with them. I I don't really know. I mean, this is where MSU's roster pinch, you know, it shows itself because there's not really that other small ball guy. I mean, I guess it'd be rocket Watts, but we've already talked at length about how he's not performing right now. Uh, so I, I don't know who it would be. I wouldn't hesitate to throw Gabe Brown out there um, and, and try that. The Joey Hauser thing to me is asking for trouble. <laughs> I mean, that's just me personally. I don't think he can check Race Thompson. And on, on, I mean, you're going to have to play him out there, but he's just not going to be able to hang with him on the boards, in my I opinion. Agree. So I, I agree. But it, it, on the other, on the offensive end, though, if you need that spacing and you, you need that shooting, you're you're just going to have to take what you get. So. Uh-huh. Um, but I think that then it comes down to, you know, if that's your conundrum at the four, like, are you, I think another interesting piece is what are you doing? Are you just leaving Trace Jackson Davis one-on-one and hoping for the best against Maddie Sissoko and Bingham and all these other guys, or are you coming down and you chipping on him and making race Thompson try to be the actual one that, that beats you? I don't know. It's going to be fascinating. I mean, uh, you know, this has been a really competitive matchup between these two teams for the last few years, even when maybe they're on different footing. But now they're very much on the same footing. And this is a this is a huge game for for both teams. You know, what's interesting about, you know, that coming down and chipping. I think you can, you know, in, in past you, you couldn't against Iowa. You know, they just shoot too well. And against right. Indiana, I think there was a fear that, um, you know, Franklin, who shot 45% from three, you can't you can't um, dig on him. Well, if he's out, their best three-point shooter mm-hmm. that actually gets real minutes is Durham, and and he's a 39% free throw or excuse me three-point shooter. It gets pretty ugly pretty quickly. You know, Finisi has struggled. At, he's shooting sub 28% from three this year. Like that's Rocket Watts, AJ Hogarth territory yeah race thompson can't shoot uh, trey galloway their freshman refuses to shoot uh and shouldn't because he's shooting under 18 percent from three like there there is a scenario now where you can make trace jackson davis pass if you don't feel comfortable yeah. with that one-on-one matchup and say hey man if jordan their freshman geronimo comes off the bench and beats you with by hitting banging right. threes, like then wow wow that would be <laughs> then you then you adjust. You just right? take it at that then point. Just, then well, then it's just, just not meant to be. You just adjust and you say, okay, well, we stop with that experiment. But winnable game. This is a winnable game. Uh, yeah, I think Michigan State defensively should be, especially with Armand Franklin out. That's a big deal. I mean that 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 yeah. is a really big deal because now that allows you as as Michigan State to put to honestly probably put Aaron Henry on Al Durham. I mean, you might even get Aaron Henry on Race Thompson if you want to get you know, a little bit different with it. But I would think Al Durham, who's only 6'4", 
is, is a guy that Aaron Henry will probably check pretty closely. And I would imagine Josh Langford would be on him. So, you know, this is a game that I don't expect to be high scoring. Um, MSU, this is going to be a big time rock fight. It's just, you know, uh, MSU is going to have to, if you can, the more you can force the ball out of Trace Jackson Davis's hands and the more you can foul him with your fives whenever he's close to the rim, the better. Like, I'm okay with putting him at the line uh, over and over and over and then hoping that they settle for some three. So I won't be surprised to see MSU kind of pack it in and just, just let him rip it from deep. I, I like that. And, you know, you mentioned could could uh, Aaron Henry check Grace Thompson. I just want to go back to that Ohio State game really quickly. Um EJ Little was killing, killing MSU. Nobody could hang. Like, we tried everybody. And coming out of a timeout, I believe at the under four, Aaron Henry clearly said, I'm guarding him. And, yep. and, and EJ demanded the ball in the post like he should. And Henry banged with him on three dribbles and forced a tough shot. And then Aaron Henry went down and knocked down a couple tough jumpers to win the game. And that was, like, the moment where I was like, this guy, this guy's a dog. Like Aaron, that's my guy yeah. right there. Like that was flashes of MSU, you know, past, you know, March greats, you know, moment, yep. you know, does he have it in the tank to do it again? He's going to have to, he's going to have to. And um, if I'm, I'm he just, doesn't, yeah, if he doesn't, MSU doesn't bottom line. I mean, he, he is the one that has to do, to, to perform in order for Michigan state to, to win many of games moving forward. He is, he is the key to, to everything so um i'm with you he just can't press you know and and, and you gotta like let the game come to you a little bit fortunately uh, i think he's done a pretty good job about that so um but yeah this can this one's gonna be could be tight you know it should be tight um it's gonna be a, probably a tightly called game too uh, msu has more depth now um how do you use it and you know this doesn't even jump into the michigan previews where we're, you know, quickly, you know, you'll have a one day turnaround. Fortunately, Michigan also will have a one day turnaround. Um, so hopefully they are also as, as yeah. exhausted and this will become an emotional game. You know, that's how Michigan State can hang with Michigan as it becomes an emotional game. Because from a talent perspective, especially um, in the front court, the combination of Hunter Dickinson, uh, who, who might be freshman of the year up there, he probably won't win just because of uh, Gonzaga's got two fantastic uh freshman but probably big 10 freshman of the year and then yeah i think easily yeah couple him um with what Fra- uh franz wagner is doing it, it's it's a it's a it's not, not a good combination for michigan state um austin davis has become serviceable um and and then that's not even to say Isaiah Livers is the player I think everyone expected him to have been. Everyone else has taken a bigger leap than probably everyone thought they would. And that's why Michigan is mm-hmm. playing at an elite level, um, truly elite. So, um, you know, how do you shut down Hunter Dickinson? Is it, I think you have to say, you know, Marcus Bingham just has to play above himself because Hunter Dickinson yep. is all of 7 1. He is a, he gave Luca Garza problems. That's how Luca always finds problems is when he can't bully people. Hunter is a a grown man and wasn't mm-hmm. letting that happen. Marcus is going to have to play like a grown man, or Maddie Sissoko will have to come out and be very vastly undersized, but have to um, kind of power 
power hooks. Yeah, but he's got the arms. I mean, both of those guys have the length. I yep. think the really interesting – so I would actually take the complete opposite approach against Michigan that they would take against Indiana. I'm letting Hunter Dickinson do his thing. And the reason the reason why is because five players on Michigan's team are shooting at least 36% from three. Five guys that play uh, consistent minutes. Brandon Johns actually shoots 50%, so that make it six. They have six above average three-point shooters and three guys that shoot better than 45%. This isn't a team like Indiana where you can say, all right, go and hedge and chip and beat the shit out of the center because you want the other guys shooting. This is the exact opposite situation where I w- I'll, I'll take the two points. I'll let Hunter Dickinson score 25 if it keeps uh, several of those from being threes that are re- going to be reliably made. So that if I'm Michigan State, this is they are outmatched in this game. They're outgunned at this point. Like we have, we I can't do anything but tip my cap to the job Joan Howard has done. I mean, he put together a roster, kind of cobbled it together, and has made it quite quite good very very good um i mean they've lost one game they've lost one game all year and they beat the tar out of a lot of different teams that are very highly ranked so uh this is no joke uh, of a squad but i really do think that i'm gonna let hunter dickinson do his thing i'm gonna go one-on-one with sissoko i'm gonna treat him like kofi coburn i'm going one-on-one yeah. with sissoko one-on-one with bingham I pray to God Thomas Kithier doesn't play in this game. If it's Marble, I mean, whoever it is, you need um, to, to let him do his thing. The part that scares me about this matchup more than anything else is that I'm just not sure how MSU is going to keep up on the scoreboard. I think they can challenge Michigan enough. I think that they can, they've shown enough defensively and they have enough switchability, I think, in the positions of one through four for the most part that I think they can hang. In, in in those areas defensively, I think they can make Michigan really work um, and probably keep their point total lower than we've seen it in some of these really high flying games like they had against Ohio State and things like that, where they're scoring in the 90s and the 100s. I think MSU can keep them in the 70s. I'm just not sure how they are going to in turn score 75 points. I, I because Michigan, for all the credit that they get offensively. It's a really good defensive team, too. I mean, Franz yeah. Wagner is a very good defensive player. Dickinson is a legitimate uh, paint defender. I mean, Livers is a perfectly acceptable defender. Chondi Brown, I know, has been pretty solid for them. So, you know, it's it's a team that can beat you in multiple different ways. And I'm just, like, especially on a one-day turnaround, I this first matchup against them, the one where you got to go on the road after a day and beat maybe the hottest, definitely the hottest team aside from Gonzaga in the entire country. Like that is a tall task. And John, I actually am interested in your take on this. Is there, if you're Tom Izzo Mm -hmm. and you get through the first half Mm -hmm. and you're down 10, let's say you go into the half down 10, is there part of you, assuming you, you know, actually it doesn't even matter what happened against Indiana. Is there part of you that just, sits Aaron Henry, sits Josh Langford, and just says, you know what? If we can beat him with the backups, great. If we get this game close in the last five minutes, maybe I'll put my dudes back in. But otherwise, I'm saving these legs for our one last shot at home. Like, is there part, do you, first of all, do you think he would ever do that? And second of all, is there part of you that would consider that strategy? It's, it's smart gamesmanship. I don't see Tom Izzo ever doing it. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and maybe it's a pride thing. I don't know. It might be the smart thing, 
Um, but he's just, it's just, there's a pride thing there that he won't, he wouldn't do so that I don't think, um, it's, it, and maybe it is the smart thing. I don't know. You know, I, I think we need to see what happens against Indiana <laughs> and what Michigan does against Illinois, frankly, because Michigan could be, uh, playing for something or they could have had it locked up. I think if they beat Illinois. Mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously they're playing for a one seed, number one overall seed, um, lots of pl- playing your rival. Don't get me wrong. It's not like they will, will, would, you know, be playing Austin Davis and Adrian Nunez all game. But but I guess my point is, like, there's just a couple things that have to happen before I can answer that question. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, it's a, it's, it's a valid one. You know, you got to ask yourself. It's a know, valid I mean, you if, if it is... I mean, I don't know. Like, you're just asking so much of these guys that I think maybe not to the degree of, like, I'm sitting them down for the whole second half. But, like, if things start to spiral against Michigan in that first game, I think it would be poor coaching if you don't consider just kind of taking your L. Because, like you said with the net, blowout losses don't really matter that much, especially if it's against a team like Michigan that's been so dominant. Like, it's as good a loss as you can get no matter how much it's by. Like, I would say if I think, you know, I have any chance of beating them in the weekend game at home when I've got at least two days to rest my guys, I might buy them another 20 minutes of game time rest or, you know what I mean, 10 minutes of game time rest in the second half. Whereas I normally think like against Indiana, you've made the point. I don't think Aaron Henry's coming off the floor. I'd be shocked if he checks out for more than three total minutes. Um, I think you need to consider that against Michigan. Here's what you will see, in my opinion, Tom Phil. His actual, his game plan, game plan. So remember when he switched on everything against Beeline and John was just like floored. And as you had never done it before, he never in the history of like the program, like switched everything on three and, and was playing uh, almost like a pack defense. It was mm-hmm. weird. And through John Beeline and MSU won that game for not just that reason, but one of the main reasons. What will Tom, what's his game plan and will he show it in the first game? You know, I I just wonder, I wonder if if you play your hand, you know, in the first game, just because of the turnaround problem that MSU has been having, you know, and you spend that, give the team Friday off Wednesday, you know, you, you prep Wednesday for Sunday's game, you play normally, you know, nothing, no new wrinkles rest play thursday rest friday practice the wrinkles again saturday and then on sunday for the final game you show your true hand against how to play against michigan that's maybe one approach that you might see tom actually take because i just don't see him yeah. sitting his best players it's just not in his no that's a good point that, that's no you're 100 right and that's just gamesmanship i think you're 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 absolutely correct i mean they've done in the NCAA tournament so often where they'll just kind of rely on talent to win that first game. And then they'll actually deploy a game plan in later games after that. So yep. I, I think it'll be a fascinating week. I mean, this is, this is do or die. MSU either you, you do or you do not this week. And, and that is, and that is that, but uh, obviously lots, lots to talk about with basketball, but we do have a little bit of football as well. A little, little cherry on top of this podcast. If you guys are up for it. Yes. Um <laughs> Since you have uh, been paying rent in the, the transfer portal, it's been yielding Indeed, I uh, interesting results. You got some new guys on the team, I heard. Yeah, two uh, defensive back transfers uh, to Michigan State, both both corners by trade, but um, guys that are coming in as 
redshirt freshmen. So they both redshirted or did not play this past year. So they're going to come in with four years of eligibility. Um, the names are Kari Crump Jr., fantastic name, from uh, who's transferring in from Arizona, former three-star kid. Um, he actually had some decent offers. Uh, I think out of high school, he had an offer from Oregon, uh, Oregon State, BYU, and Utah State. Again, no, nothing crazy, uh, but some some solid programs there. He committed to Michigan State this past weekend, uh, as well as Marquis Lowry Jr. He's coming to MSU by way of uh, Louisville. He was actually originally committed to Appalachian State, uh, but flipped to Louisville during, I think it was the early signing day um, a year ago. So, you know, neither of them, uh, I don't think would come in and, you know, expect them to start or anything like that. But when you talk about, you know, depth and where you really need it on this MSU team, defensive back is, is as important a position, uh, as possible. I mean, we talked about it at the early part of this off season before the off season, we were looking at a Kalon Gervin, Angelo gross, uh, starting, cornerback unit. Uh, and I think there were three other true freshmen committed at that time in Chuck Brantley, Antoine Booth and Stefan Johnson in Michael Gravely is probably going to swing around somewhere, but either way, you're talking about not a ton of experience um, and not a ton of bodies. Now in the last handful of weeks, MSU has brought in Chester Kimbrough from Florida, Kari Crump from Arizona and Marquis Lowry Jr. from Louisville. And again, these aren't going to be your big five-star uh, huge gets maybe, although Kimbrough is all three of them are pretty damn good, but um, these are guys whose I, I think names you are going to hear early and often when it comes to the summer and the fall. Um, it you know adding more bodies to a position group like corner is always a good thing. Competition time and time again breeds kind of the, the best players of those positions. And MSU, I mean, it's important for people to remember they play kind of like a base nickel now. So like a four-two-five is kind of their standard defense, which makes athletic linebackers and a multitude of of decent defensive backs um, really kind of table stakes for having a decent defense. So adding more bodies always a good thing. Uh, and now when you kind of look at like the checklist for, you know, what, what is remaining, right. Uh, when it comes to the 2021 MSU football team, there's still six spots. They can still add six more bodies. Um, and wow. yeah, it's really interesting to think about where they might be. Again, we've kind of talked about this before, but would not be surprised at all to see them go get another receiver. Uh, an interesting one that, um, just came available was Tommy Bush. He was a four-star receiver who originally committed to Georgia when Tucker was, I believe, still there. Uh, he visited Michigan State and chose Georgia. Can't blame him. And um, is back available on the market. So that's a name to keep an eye on. The other ones are uh, the other position I think MSU is really going to try to hit now is linebacker. I mean, you've you've seen it already yeah. with Ben Van Samarin, but. Uh, Palaya Gaoteote is still out there. And I think there's a few other linebackers who I'm sure are going to draw some interest. So still six spots available. I would, honestly, I would anticipate Michigan State using very close to, if not all of them. So long, long ways to go, but it feels like every week they're, they're adding new exciting bodies. Yeah. I mean that you said the linebacker position is something you can sell playing time at the opportunity for playing time immediately. Um, so <clears throat> like to see that area shored up a little bit. And like you said, <laughs> every week's new surprise, like a present, the like Christmas keeps coming. So over and over. Um, all right. Well, guys, listen, big week, uh, sure would like to get a couple of wins here, but let's before not put the car to the head of the horse. 
Um, big game against Indiana on Tuesday. You know, she gets that one. We start talking about some other things, but uh, John, let's let's get some wins, huh? Hey, one game at a time. That's right. That's right. Let's get some win. Just one. Um, all right, guys. Well, as always, thanks for sticking with us. For John, this has been Austin, and we'll catch you next week. See you.